Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I'm feeling incredibly kind of like romantic today. No, that's not like you. I just feel kind of like I'm being swept away by dreams and and like memories and washing through my brain like all my kind of past and future and everything. It's all quite intense. Well, that sounds really deeply human. What do you mean deeply human? Since when was this I is... human? <laughs> all right. It sounds really deeply android. Thank you. I don't, I don't want to be human. <laughs> How dare you? Um, global, maybe, but not human. Global. Global android. Anyway, we've got an amazing guest on today, haven't we, Rob? Yeah. And today's guest makes the most unique, sort of dreamy, beautiful alluring paintings that mm. that to me do make me think of so many times in my life and also future times in my life that I would hope to be living. <laughs> um, wow. I just love his work. And it's really inspiring I'm super excited. Yeah. It is very exciting. And we're speaking over the phone for the Quarantine series all the way from New York. Mm-hmm. And it feels really special. So mm-hmm. we would like to welcome... Duron Langberg. <laughs> Hi guys. I hope I can Hi. live up to this generous description. Oh my god. <laughs> even even more so. How are you today, Duron? I'm good. Quarantined. Um, keeping safe, doing home workouts and drawings on my kitchen table. Are really? You, so you are you able to get to the studio on any level? No, that's it now. Not right now, no. Uh, I'm going to wait it out a little bit, but I'm definitely having studio withdrawal at the moment. So how are you coping with that? Um, Getting annoyed at my husband for no reason, Mm -hmm. cooking, going on jogs. (laughs) Oh, you are, you're having a jog, yeah. What are you cooking? Um, What are we cooking? Just like chicken tagines and... We might bake bread, just things that take a long time that could occupy. That spread out us. the day. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Chunk of your day. So you're saying you're drawing at the table. Is this, is this you, you, you sketch a lot anyway, but you finding this is a, a nice uh, way of getting over not being able to get to the studio? Yeah, it's actually interesting because I, actually, I haven't had a full-blown drawing practice in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really fold a lot of kind of my drawing desires into the smaller paintings that I make. Um, so this has been kind of reliving um, moments in my practice from maybe even more than 10 years ago that I would really almost exclusively draw. Um, so it's wow. been really amazing to kind of dig into it and see what changed, what stayed the same, uh, kind of going back to the core of my practice, which is What, what really has nice. changed, what stayed the same then, and what have you noticed? Oh, my God. I feel like... Um, 
the kind of connection between the materiality and the subject is something that is just runs through my work and really started with my drawing practice. So kind of rediscovering that in the most bare bone um, version of it mm-hmm. was kind of reassuring to see that I could, that I'm still connected to that even through drawing. Did you always draw? I've always painted, really. I feel like painting has been the constant. Um, and drawing, I feel like, is something that I love doing, and it's really quick and accessible, but it's always been painting for me. Right. But so, so the drawings now have kind of the materiality now, what you're working with. I mean, are you doing lots of... Because you, you work a lot from life. You, you like to paint from life. Are you drawing your domestic scene now with you and your husband and yourself and... Well, my husband is quite resistant to being painted, so I feel like is every he? time I paint, yes, this is my fate in life. Um, why? To why? Marry to what is his reason? <laughs> why is he? Is he just maybe why? he wants privacy? He's yeah, he's just a very private person. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, he does. You know, I, I do paint him a lot, so I have to give him credit. But every, you know, it's a process. Um, <laughs> but so this is actually interesting because okay, I can't have models um, really. So I started working from source material, like older source materials that I have. Oh, um, nice. So um, there's these videos that I made, you know, 2009 um, mm-hmm. or 2010 with like guys that like I would hook up with or something um and I'm kind of coming back to those so it's also kind of a strange disassociative experience to like see yourself 10 years apart these are like home porn sex tapes that you made when you were uh, at Yale right in in undergrad yeah in undergrad right Pennsylvania yes exactly and then you made And then it was like a breakthrough eureka moment when you watched these back and you started making sketches from, would you like pause it and make sketches from the videos? Yeah, exactly. I would go like frame by frame and kind of choose compositions that uh, resonated with me. Wow. And did these subjects know that you were drawing them afterwards? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. How did that go down? Like, Were they flattered or were they worried or... So flattered. I feel like people are surprisingly open and willing uh, to participate in these projects. So, and I guess grateful. there's such a distance, isn't there, between that actual, the, the experience you physically had and then the video of it and then painting it. It, it, it kind of, all these separations in time and... and yeah, do you it, feel distant from it, like it's not yourself anymore or...? Well, I feel like anytime I paint, there's like an analytical distance. Like I'm not in the experience when I'm making the work, but I feel like having had the recollection of the experience and having been there myself, like allows me to access the imagery. Whereas just if I tried to paint from, you know, just pornography, uh, that would feel like I wouldn't even know where to start. But actually, that's that's quite key to what your work is. I mean, I, I feel like the way that you paint and the way that you use color and that they have there's a real fluidity. It's a very mm. like the minute you see one of your paintings, you know it's a Duron painting. Like yes. like you don't paint like other people at the moment. Like I feel like it's very yeah, yeah. distinctly you, even mm. though there's this movement of figurative painting which we've been um, exploring quite a lot recently on Talk Art with um, different artists. But but th- there's something about the vividness, and th- that's kind of what why why in the introduction i was talking about memories and like and also like future kind of like hopeful kind of visions of what you might want your future to be because it's like a future this, nostalgia it feels yeah like. yeah oh wow i love that which is a very dua lipa <laughs> mm. 
Mm. Dua Lipa, the singer. <laughs> She's got a new record called Future Nostalgia. He doesn't like that, clearly. Oh, Dua really? Lipa. I'll have to Google, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. She's amazing. Just... It just came out. It's called Future Nostalgia, and I'm listening oh, to it all the time, and I love me. it. She's copied me. And no, I think on. you copied her. You probably read it somewhere. <laughs> Dua's everywhere. We love, we love Dua. Yes, not as much as Duran. So, no. what, do, what do you think of that, Duran? What do you think of Rob's statement? Up there? I've, yeah, yeah I, I think that for me, the paintings are kind of. Um, these emotional worlds and an externalization of what the subject is experiencing and what I'm experiencing with the subject. Um, so I think it kind of teeters on this, some, this memory, but also this present moment. Because um, like you were saying, a lot of them are made from observation. So it is responsive to what's going on um, in front of me, but also kind of based on this long-term knowledge and experience of who these people are, what their roles are in my life, how do I feel about them. Um, and I feel like having these two coordinates of both past and present kind of allow um, this projection into the future. Uh, and maybe, maybe a future where queer experiences do have more weight and do have more presence and uh, kind of can take center stage. Mm. Mm. Do, you have, do you have rules that you set yourself for the people that you have in your paintings? Do they have to have a sort of connection to you or? I feel like the connection really varies. It could be like my mom, my husband, friends, like there's just um, people that I have like very brief interactions with. I try to really follow my ideas and if, um, if kind of something pops into my mind in terms of like, oh, this person would be great for, for this painting or I can use this color palette or mm -hmm. this way of painting, um, I just try to not not edit myself and not judge those ideas and just follow them and see what happens. Could you paint from FaceTime? You know, like you had like models in, to be in front of you. Is there anything in FaceTime if you're able to work from old like porn movies that you've made? It's a good question. I've never tried. I feel like if this quarantine continues, I'm sure I'll dive into like the depth of despair and, and yeah. try to find more and more creative solutions. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. Are there paints in your apartment or are you just able to work as drawing? No, right now only drawing. I am considering going back to the studio and like taking my oil paints and small paintings back to my apartment. Mm -hmm. um, but I also am just like, I work alone, so maybe it's okay to go to my studio. I'm kind of going back and forth. But no, there's no oil paint right now. How do you get there? Would you cycle there or just get transport? Yeah, I would probably like try to either drive or, or bike there because the, okay. you know, the subway now is like a hub, Corona hub. God, how I mean, is there a vibe there on the streets where you, people are are people scared? Is it what's the vibe? I think people are scared. Yeah, I think I mean New York is you know right now the center of this whole mess, um, yeah. and it just my my husband's a doctor, so I feel like I'm also getting kind of stories oh, right. from the front line, um, and the hospitals are really ill-equipped. There's no masks. There's no ventilators. There's no beds. Um, so even if it's more about like if if you do get sick and you have to get medical care, it's not necessarily guaranteed that you would be. And I think that's what's no, dangerous. There's that's been stories scary, in Italy, people. haven't there, of people being turned away from the hospital and they're having to make these heartbreaking decisions, you know, on who gets help and who doesn't. I mean, it's shocking. Yeah. You're part it's of so quite difficult. a tight group of artists at the moment that are really like uh, doing incredible work and having a massive impact, especially within like like the queer circle of artists. Uh, the, the stories that are coming out is so present at the moment. Are you all really connected during this time right now? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just texting with Salman yesterday and Lewis, Salman well, yeah. Jenna, Lewis yeah, Jenna Gribben, um, lovely. 
Jen Packer. Yeah, we're all um, we're all good friends. And how's it? I mean, how is everyone? Is it bringing everyone closer, or is everyone f- fearful? Or is it changing the work? Um, I don't. I don't know if it changes the work. I think for me. It definitely clarified, like in a moment where we're all kind of wondering, like, what's going to happen to the art world? Like, when this all ends, like, which galleries are going to be reopened? Mm-hmm. Um, our collectors going to keep buying? Like, what's going to happen to all our scheduled shows? Like, there's a lot of uncertainty in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, you know, brings up questions of like, well, who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for collectors? Am I doing this for... Um, I don't know, Instagram followers? Like, Instagram, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think obviously the answer is that we're doing it for each other and we're doing it for ourselves. And it kind of clarifies um, just, you know, focusing on the things that are most important about the work and what drives us as artists as opposed to kind of this inertia of the, the more career aspect of it. And actually, I, th- I think, I think your, your paintings have this sense of a community or friendship or kinship between, mm. between you know, your friends and family and like I my, my favorite works by you are the the most recent ones of um kind of group scenes the larger works that you started to make I think mm-hmm. is there one called Daniel Reading oh yeah 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 that was in my uh, solo in the in the fall yeah with your yeah solo. which I I love and can you talk a bit about about that and the interaction between like compositionally why you've decided to start doing figurative paintings with groups of people um, well, that painting is of my husband's family, actually. Um, oh. And we went to visit them in Baltimore um, over some holiday, Memorial Day, something like that. Uh, oh. And I brought my paints and small canvases, and I just made portraits of everyone. Um, and I really just wanted to capture, you know, a, a domestic scene, a familial scene. Yeah. Um, and to me, that part of the practice that's maybe more everyday, it kind of contextualizes the more explicitly queer practice and vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of creating a, a spectrum of subjects that um, just talks about like a life lived, right? That if that a queer perspective does not only have to um, describe things that are explicitly queer. Um, so kind of folding in that content into like the larger narrative. Mm. Well, the families of queer people, I mean, they're, they're, they're part of the experience, aren't they? Because that is your experience. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it's, right. and it's not it's not just about who you actually physically are sleeping with or having yes. sex with or, right. you know, that that kind of one part of someone's being. It's like the full mm. experience of being the full alive. Full story, yeah, the full experience. No, totally. And I feel, you know, like what what's queer painting, right? It's not like a queer experience doesn't necessarily, it doesn't stop uh, in our desire or who we're with. Um, no. It's... It's how we walk around in the world, how the world perceives us, how we're perceived even like in the eyes of the state, right? Like what rights do we have and what rights do we don't have? Uh, Mm. Every moment we exist, like our relationship to our family, it's all mediated through our queerness. Um, So it just doesn't make sense to focus on only one subject matter that's like so um, maybe codified as queer, but really the experience itself is much, much broader. Mm. And I guess that's also a privilege of our time now, isn't it? Because... Because, you know, politics have moved on to a point where we aren't necessarily completely equal, but there's definitely more equality than there had been in certain cities in the world. And um, I think it can be, in some ways, easier to live your life as a queer person. So maybe that also feeds into into the world. Absolutely, absolutely. And also just have, like, you know, the history of queer work that's already been done and kind of what we're building on. 
Um, Who do you look at in that, on that level? Who's your people that you're inspired by? I feel like one of my favorites is Felix Gonzalez Torres. Yes. Um, and I, I discovered him in undergrad and I just, the, the tenderness, the intimacy, the beauty, um, but also like the political strategy that's folded yes. into those works all together yes. um, is really to me like the kind of what I aspire to in my paintings. Do you feel like there's a political edge to your work? Well, I feel like that, for me, painting um, really represents a certain kind of empathy. Um, and when you're looking at a work, like the, if you're, I don't know, thinking about someone like Van Gogh, like you're really kind of embodying who he is and his viewpoint. Um, and when it comes to making work from a queer standpoint, I think that process becomes politicized um, because you're kind of having to um, transcend certain social or political differences. Um, yes. But as but as a viewer, you're encountering this this piece um, as just like a, a human, right? So I feel like by quote unquote like humanizing a queer experience, that's that's a political statement. Giving it the weight that any other experience would have is a political statement. So you were born 1985 in Israel, and. Growing up in Israel, you were there till what age? Uh, 21. So what was the art scene, what is the art scene like in Israel? And what was it like then? And how did you find your way into art? Well, I, I always kind of painted um, since I can remember. And when I was in about to go to middle school, my parents um, helped me sign up for this art school in Israel. Um, so really, that's when my formal education started. So middle school, high school, um, I was studying painting. And then um, I was kind of, when in Israel, you kind of have to go into the into military service after Yeah, after compulsory. You, so you went into the military? Yeah, yeah. For I two was years, an mechanic. Three years. I was oh, an airplane mechanic, yeah. yeah. Amazing. What was that like? Um, I wouldn't repeat it. <laughs> I feel like it's, it really, um, I don't, I don't think about it ever. Um, it's, it's a, it's three years of my life that I've kind of erased. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And my commanders were like really sweet and really supportive. And, and didn't you actually get to paint there? I heard that you, you, yeah. were, you were able to kind of convince them to allow you to paint. That was really I did. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just, I hated being a mechanic so much, um, that I really was trying. I was, and were you working on... Uh, aeroplane parts. Yeah, and wow. I was trying, you know, I tried to like become an officer and they wouldn't accept, just to kind of escape this work. Um, and they wouldn't, wow. they wouldn't accept me. And then I was like, okay, like, I'm just gonna tell them, you know, like, I make paintings, whatever you want. Like, just, <laughs> just don't, just make me stop me being a mechanic. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and they were actually like quite responsive and they, they gave me a little studio with like acrylic paints and I painted like sunsets and um, like <laughs> airplanes and underwater scenes and all that high kitsch stuff. Yeah. Didn't they? Didn't, but then they let you in the end paint a dormitory, your dormitory for everyone, like a mural. Or... Oh yeah, that's how it started. Exactly. Oh, you did your research, Russell. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, yeah, we had like um, you know, once in a while the commanders would go around and like do like a checkup for the entire base, and every unit wants to like impress the commander, so. Um, mine was, um, in my unit, they asked me to, like, kind of decorate the dormitory with, with paintings, and which was very well received, so, yeah. What, what did you paint? Was it, like, propaganda-like stuff, or...? 
Well, it was funny because those first two paintings, one, they actually, those, yeah, one was of my niece with like, the, where the base was, it's like um, in the north of Tel Aviv and it's near some sort of like processing factory. So there's like this big chimney. Um, so I painted this like kind of apocalyptic looking scene of her looking really intense and like this like chimney in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually it was defaced at some point because the other soldiers hated it so much. Um, <laughs> And then this other painting that was... They're going to um, regret that in the future. They're going to be like, <laughs> exactly. shit, how did we do that? Yeah. Um, and the other painting was of... Um, there's a famous f- photo in kind of Israeli history of when Eilat, which is like the most southern tip of Israel, was kind of quote-unquote conquered. And there's this um, very, fam- very famous gay Israeli photographer uh, called Adines who recreated that photo, but... Um, and it's a group of soldiers basically holding a flag, but in his recreation, it was without the flag. So it's kind of this, like, the futility of war and machoism and mm. kind of, like, you know, like a phallic symbol being, like, erected by these soldiers. Mm. Um, so I painted that, and then the high commander and, the, like, the one in charge of the, of the base was kind of like, why, why is the flag missing? Like, you need to, you need to fix that. So I don't know. I, I, was, trying, I was trying to kind of... Broadcast. Yeah, I don't know how effective it was. But. <laughs> so within your painting practice, you have um, you have set yourself some rules that come from the scale, basically. You've given yourself these rules within your um, program, right? What, what Can we talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So I basically make um, either 18 by 24 paintings, or these much larger 96 by 80 panels and could be like two panels or one panel. Um, and I feel like for me, I just, the, the way that I work is very related to what I'm painting. So it's all life size. Uh, so if I'm painting, like Rob mentioned, like that living room scene, it really is just like the size of a living room. Um, and if it's a portrait, it, it will be the size of someone's like torso or head or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think like that one-to-one relationship um, just gives me a lot of freedom and a lot of space to experiment with like materials and textures and colors um, beyond just kind of like describing the the figures. And how how do you work with color? Because I mean, if I was to describe you know Doron Lamberg's paintings, you would immediately probably say colorful because you you have this almost like watercolory fluid kind of very free use of color. Like how how has that developed? Well, it's funny because I'm not an intuitive colorist. Um, And it took me like so, so long to figure out how to use color and um, what it is that I even want to do with it. So when I was an undergrad, my training was very kind of Um, skill-based. So I would look at a still life and kind of copy the colors I saw. Um, And I didn't really think of color as a a structure, Um, something that's kind of separate from every other part of the painting um, in terms of that you can really play around with and make conscious decisions on and not just kind of like copy what you're seeing. Um, so at some point in undergrad, I actually stopped working with color and just started making those drawings that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working in black They're just and white graphite, for, aren't they? Yeah, just graphite, yeah. Um, yeah. graphite on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they morphed to kind of like black and white acrylic paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then only when I got to Yale, um, which is kind of known for its color tradition with like Joseph Albers being like a famous professor that founded like mm. the MFA program. Um, mm. I was like, okay, and that, if I'm ever going to tackle color, it's going to be here. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of the beginning of it. Didn't you get a critique from Lisa Yuskavage there while you were 
when she came and looked at your work. Oh yeah, Lisa. Yeah, Lisa was one of my my critics when I was a first year at Yale, um, and you know oh, she's like love her. just a master um, yeah. colorist. Yeah. Um, and I was just beginning to work with color, like sitting on the floor of my studio with like all these like color pieces of paper and trying to figure out like how to put everything together. And she was like, mm, I see a lot of colors, but I don't see color. And I think that that really, that statement sums up this idea that color needs to be a cohesive concept. It can't just be each bit is separate. Like you really have to think of it as a structure and not just um, consider each part on its own. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think you referred to it as a color boot camp. Oh my God, yeah, it, it really... <laughs> It really was, yeah. <laughs> One of the paintings that's coming to mind while we're talking about this, there's that painting, I don't know what the title is, but it's of, of um, two, like, like, like a couple in bed. And it's like this kind of blue, it's very blue. And it's almost like it becomes the sea or something in the background. Like it's got this mm-hmm. very voluminous kind of uh, weight to it, like the, the, the blue of the mattress. I really love that painting. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the work starts with um, two or three colors um, kind of initially that mm. make up the first layer that's like usually very, um, very loose, very gestural, a lot of times very transparent. Um, mm. And then I kind of try to build on top of that. So there's already kind of from the very beginning, there's already kind of this very luminous structure. Um, right, right. And kind of trying to to go by like, part by part, like what, how I want to create the, the light and the color in the painting. And are there, are there paintings in the history of art that you like to do with beds and things like that? Because the sheets and the kind mm. of use of fabric or clothing in your work, mm. I, I always thought that that's kind of why I started thinking about romance. And I didn't mean romance as in like me and another human being. I meant more like a Intimacy. kind of romantic gesture, you know, like this yeah. kind of idea of gestures or, or emotional kind of intensity or something. But I, I love the sheets in that painting as well. Thank you. It's funny that you bring out romance because I feel like when I was at Yale, and even before that, like classmates and professors were like, okay, so you're like a romantic painter. And I was like, no, oh, really? <laughs> These are not romantic. Like, what are you talking about? And I feel like, I don't, in my mind, there was like some sort of shame associated with kind of indulging in the emotionality of it and um, kind of the mushiness of it all. And I think that it really took me a long time to allow myself to admit it and also really dive into it. And I think that's when the work got a lot better. Like, I think when I was kind of resisting that urge um, and trying to pretend, like, no, I'm like a really smart intellectual painter. Like, what are you talking about? But I was going to say, to me, they're not really mushy, though. That's Because in a way, there's a difference between romance and then sentimentality or, mm, or, right. or some kind of... Do you know what I mean? Like, they're very distinctly different things. And I think when romance is uh, kind of presented in, in a great way, it, it is, kind of, you know, in, in, a, in a more rigorous way. It's, it's just, there's nothing more powerful than that. You Thank know? you. Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm trying to, like, keep it as honest as possible and yeah. really think about the, what it is, what kind of experience am I trying to communicate and, and stick to that. And hopefully, like you're saying, that keeps it from kind of, like, slipping into cliche or mm. uh, sentimentality. But mm. I think it's very authentic as well. I think you you hold on to that authenticity, you know, throughout by your yeah. choice of who you're painting. And mm. I remember that painting as well. I don't know what it's called again. Forgive me. But there's a painting, I think, where you've got... I think it's just oh. called Lovers, like every other painting that I make. 
<laughs> oh, really? Yeah, is that the better yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 there's another one where you painted a, a woman sort of with her hand on her face. And I, that's another one where, where the colours almost become... She's kind of like sitting in a very thoughtful, kind of pensive state oh, yeah. almost. Mm-hmm. But the, the colours in that painting, like there's loads of purple on the face. And I remember when Russell sent me it, I think, at one point, and I was like, it's such an unusual way to present... The, the kind of surface or, of someone's yeah. skin. It's like this purple and red and you almost feel like the light is enveloping the whole room. Like it's actually traveling in the air like, like as a mist or something. Yeah, I think that that kind of um, boundary crossing between the environment and the figure is something that is really important to me and kind of has been present in my work throughout in different ways. Um, mm. And the way, just kind of thinking of us as people as being like, porous and that the outside and the inside kind of blend and one penetrates the other. Um, I think it's kind of very true to just how we exist in the world and how influenced we are by our environment, but also how much influence we have over it uh, emotionally and psychically um, Mm -hmm. or psychologically and not psychically. Um, So yeah, I think that that kind of, it's it's a formal way for me to, to, to think through like how we how we exist in the world, really. Right, right. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you feel really emotionally connected to the paintings when you're creating them in a kind of performative way? Because I think I've read how you're quite happy for your own body to smear the paint or be involved, not just your hand and the brush. I think that the, um, to me, like using oil paint is almost, it's just like a part of my body. So I think that the kind of being hypersensitive to the, how a brushstroke moves, like smearing it with my hand, like you're saying, like kind of finding different ways to touch the surface is, a huge part of the painting. Um, but when I'm working, I'm really emotionally detached. Um, and I don't, oh. it's, it's, very much, it's very much kind of like a focused um, analytical process of having to constantly do something and then separate myself from it and like evaluate it and then wow. move on. Um, and often, I mean, I feel like my husband, I'm sure can attest, like the paintings are quite, I mean, it's not always like a, you know, they they torment me sometimes for sure, and it could In be what like way? pretty. What do you mean? Well, I feel like especially these big ones. A lot of times they start out with a lot of excitement about the idea and these big gestures that kind of like you know um, start the piece, and then it really is like a downward spiral um, <laughs> most of the time, and then I have to kind of climb my way out of it. 
Um, wow. And I think I've done it enough times that it's, it, I know I'll, you know, like 90% it will work out. Like, I've been here before. But when you're in it, it's just, you know, you feel like you're, do I know, do I even know how to paint? Like, what's going on? This is just So it's like a, a constant battle with you in the canvas almost. It, it, it feels like that, not to be like yeah. melodramatic, but yeah, it does. And then how do you, how, how do you then know when it's, when it's finished? Do you just start to feel more confident in the way it's progressing? Yeah, that actually is really easy. I feel like um, there's such clarity when something is done. You just, it's just obvious. Um, oh, wow. And I feel like I have, you know, like text group with friends and I would always like send them pictures like, is this finished? Is this finished? Do you think now it's finished? And it's o- mm-hmm. the answer is always no, because if it's finished, I, I know it's finished. And they, right. they have the, you know, the unpleasant job of being like, well, like, what about the left corner? And it's like, oh, so I feel like it's, uh, it, but when it's done, it's almost like a machine that you turn it on. Like everything works, everything flows, like it makes sense. Like nothing is kind of jumps out at you as being problematic. Um, so it's quite a clear experience, actually. Can we talk about your dick pics, your dick portraits? Yeah. Yes. So aside from having <laughs> portraits uh, on the smaller scale of uh, people, figuration, then the group scenes or the biggest, the bigger canvases, you also have a whole series of works where you paint penises of uh, yeah. a lot of people. How did that come about? How do you get these subjects? And how does this factor into the rest of your practice? Well, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the subjects are friends. So it's people that you know I can paint someone's face and I can paint someone's dick, and it's kind of coming up in the same um, process of kind of this like immediate um, circle of friends and people that are close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I don't remember. I think that like it, the idea started with someone sent me like a dick pic, and I was like I. Want to paint that? <laughs> like that, that would be a that would be a great. That was painting. your first thought of it, right? Yeah. yeah, I was like, this is a this is a great painting. Um, That's a very so healthy asked, response to a dick pic. That's very nice. Yeah. And he was just, you know, he was very sweet, and he was like, "Yeah, sounds exciting." And um, I did that for my first solo. I, I had like a series of like three or four of those, um, and it was both dicks and assholes. Um, and what was the that response was just, to that? Well, I think the I th- the gallerist was very supportive, but I think that definitely some people were um, kind of hesitant. Of mm. it was in the Lower East Side, like you know, like do we really want to have these like super explosive paintings like hanging? Um, but um, I think in the end, it really just it turned into such a part of my practice that now mm. I can't imagine it not being part of the dialogue. I think, to, I mean, to me, just the explicit work really, um, again, it's something that I've been doing since I started kind of dealing with this subject matter, but also it really is a, a meeting point of the gap between kind of how I experience my sexuality and then how it's experienced publicly. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Do you find it exposing, though? When you first showed them, do you, do you, do you still see them as super intimate? And at that time, did you find it quite exposing for yourself yeah I mean I think that for me they're they're both every day and um, very intimate and very explicit like they're all those things at the same time which I think is what makes them um, kind of unique within the practice that mm-hmm. um, they really fold in this maybe you know for someone who's not um, necessarily 
used to or a part of kind of like seeing these kind of imagery or experiencing these kind of things, like mm-hmm. it would it could be like upfronting and um, and and something that would like push them away or or, mm-hmm. or be viewed as like um, very explicit or even gross. Um, whereas I think for me, it's it's something that I experienced as like beautiful and tender and intimate. And even to be in that situation, um, like for example, I painted um, for the group show that I had at um, Periton. It was a series of of paintings um, of my friends hooking up. So even just being there in that moment and like sharing that with them was such an intense, beautiful experience. Um, mm. Whereas I think for someone who's maybe not queer or like it would you know like a painting of like two guys rimming would be like um, something that completely re- like they would reject. Um, and a lot of your subjects, your portraits, the smaller scale end up g- being blown up into the bigger scale canvases. Do you ever work like, do these these penis pictures ever get blown up to a bigger scale or the arsehole pictures? Yeah, so the the, um, the paintings that I mentioned that, Par- that I showed at Periton um, were kind of the basis for like the big rimming painting that I had later in the show that I had in the fall. Right, right, right. Um, so it's not that they're blown up per se, it's just they are part of, of the bigger painting. I was going to say, because the body, the, the scale of the body is still the same to represent one-to-one right. to, one to a real human body, right, but, right, but exactly. the, the scenery around it might become bigger. So the room exactly. would, would expand almost. Yeah, it's like you kind of are zooming out. And I, I, I heard that family-wise, when you were growing up, you had much older siblings and then you were the youngest. And um, was art something for you that, because we, we, I imagine you must have like grown up in the household as the only child, no? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So do you think art became something for you to sort of escape like, I, I don't know, I don't want to project too much on, on to, to experience, <laughs> but what, what was it like growing up? Like as an only child, but with older siblings? It was amazing, actually, because um, my, just, you know, my, my parents had a lot of time and resources, and they were just, like, really supportive. They loved having, like, an artist child. Because um, you, you were the my, only artist in the family, no? My mom um, wouldn't say that she's an artist, but she's an artist. She's an okay. incredible weaver, and she wow, used to draw when lovely. she was younger. Yeah, so I think that I kind of, that I, I definitely feel connected to her in that sense. Um, and she was never really encouraged to pursue art. So I think that she mm-hmm. felt that it was her duty to um, encourage me as much as possible. Is she so still to me, in Israel? Yeah, my parents are in Israel. Do they ever come over and see your shows here in New York? Or? They do, yeah. My mom and my niece actually came to see my show um, in the fall, which was really, really fun. Oh, wow. You've also had amazing advice from lots of other incredible, uh, like, proud, out, queer artists. And I think you had one from Michelena Thomas who gave you another, like, groundbreaking sort of advice tip. Yeah, Michelena, it's funny because I, when I was an undergrad, I went to um, Norfolk, which is the Yale summer program for juniors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was right after I started making these um, small drawings from the sex videos. And in my mind, they were all, you know, I was a figurative painter. I want, these are figures, and they're doing what figures do. Um, I didn't even think of it in terms of kind of like a queer contact or even a sexual context. Um, and when I got to Norfolk, that was kind of like the most immediate response that I got. It's like, what are you even, like, why are you talking to me about like light and dark and composition and, and like pencil, <laughs> like 
lines, like, these are guys fucking, like, can we address this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was really just not ready to, to take on what it means to be a queer artist. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, am I now a voice for a community? Like, I just, mm-hmm. um, and, and Nicolene was one of the, the visiting artists. Um, and I, I loved her work from before, and they were just so, such empowering, beautiful works that, that both felt, spoke to, like, much larger themes, but connected so deeply to her personal life. Um, so she, I was kind of asking her, like, how do you, how, where, where do you take, like, the nerve or, like, the bravery to kind of take on these themes and uh, be, a, be a voice for these issues? And she really just told me to to follow my experiences and that I don't have to worry about it um, kind of having to be like a voice for other people. It's really just my voice and my experience. And that was extremely liberating um, and very helpful. Yeah, it kind nice. of takes the pressure off you. It's almost like otherwise you're going to be carrying around this constant pressure, which would probably paralyze you and make you maybe not even be able to make work. I mean, if, you're, if you feel the responsibility of the world on your shoulders, it's like actually the personal you know, is, is yeah, enough definitely. to protect that in a, in a way. I just think for so many young, young artists, like this idea of like, like working from a marginalized viewpoint, it's like, oh, I don't want to be like a queer artist because that's limiting. I just want to be an artist. Yes. Um, so I think that kind of letting go of that and understanding that there, that's an illusion. Like if you're not, there's no, the neutrality doesn't exist. Like if they, everyone's coming from a particular viewpoint, everyone has a certain experience and, and the work is just, and kind of um, saturated with that, whether you acknowledge it or not. Uh, so there's right, nothing right, more right. or less... The, the only limitation of working from a queer place is the limitation that society imposes on queer experiences, but not, not your own... Your own experiences are not limited. Mm-hmm. I think we had this conversation when I came to visit you in your studio in Times Square when I was... You were literally... I was rehearsing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf literally like two blocks away from your studio. So after know, rehearsals so cool. one day, I came <laughs> along with Patsy Ferran who was playing Hello, Honey Patsy. in the play. Hi, Patsy. And uh, we came along to your studio. And I think at that time, there was a painting which I'd seen in a group show which you had at Boetsky Gallery, which was a, a massive scale work set in Fire Island with four figures in it. And I remember talking to you about the time about like um, ghosts and how it felt like these uh, figures in there that you hardly ever paint. I don't think you've ever painted anyone face on. They're always kind of furtive, looking away, but waiting for you to notice them rather than looking for your attention. And it has this work, your work um, plays with this kind of like past and presence. You don't know exactly where you are, even though you set it in parenthesis Fire Island. You don't exactly know that it's there because it has this passing quality of all the characters and it, it's i think i've connected to it so much because it feels like it does make me think of the aids epidemic it does make me think of uh the past our past like the people whose shoulders we're standing on now and able to and like angels in america and the normal heart and the inheritance this this these stories i feel like your your narrative it just connects with me so much Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I remember that studio episode, which was so fun. <laughs> Thank yes, you for coming. Of I'm so jealous that you got to meet Patsy because I've never met her, and now oh I want to so probably cool. because she's so <laughs> doing that, you're not doing the show, and I, I love her. I think she's. I know incredible. it's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I think that thinking about um, you know, I, I I'm Jewish, and my um, my dad is a Holocaust survivor, um, and he lost most <gasps> of his family. 
um, in the Holocaust. Yeah, he was actually born during during the war, so uh, he was like a wow. baby. Um, yeah, it's a crazy story where his mom hid him in a monastery, and she hid in some attic, and then escaped him, and then they walked to like a refugee. Camp. It's like all these, you know, every person who survives. There's like crazy, crazy oh stories. Oh my god! So I think that the um, kind of this this realization, uh, or not realization, this acknowledgement that everything can be taken away at any moment um, mm. was just very present growing up. Um, and that, that kind of anxiety. Um, and I think that's something that queer people share as well, right? Like, like you mentioned, mm. like the, the AIDS epidemic, um, that like in a heartbeat, like everything can be, cha- everything can change. Everything can just, um, and also, like the I ground think, beneath you. I think you. There's, a, there's a trauma, isn't there, that, that, that continues through future generations. So mm. like people that survived the Holocaust, their children can have a sense of trauma too, and then their children can have a sense of trauma. Or, you know, it can be to do with how people don't necessarily open up about something. So maybe they're trying to act strong or, you know, so it kind of does continue. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think that, my mom is actually just writing a book about um, the Holocaust. I mean, she didn't, her family didn't experience it, but kind of, I think, mm. her experience with my dad. Uh, and she's a psychologist, so she's kind of writing about this, the nature of testimony and how, how does one know the Holocaust? Like, what's truth? How is it communicated? Mm. Um, and we were talking about the introduction to her book, and I was kind of, we were just brainstorming. Um, and this idea that, like, you can know nothing, right, and still be a product of the Holocaust, like you're saying. It's like this right. inherited mm. trauma. Uh, but I think also for me, this this kind of framework, like growing up in that with this with this knowledge, and then also like being gay and kind of inheriting this history, um, again, really makes you focus on what are the things that are that are most important to you. What are the things that are dearest to you that that you want to talk about? Um, and I think that, like Russell was saying, like these these histories, these personal relationships, these connections to other to other people through like f- friendship and sex and intimacy and familial relationships. Um, that's what sustains us, and that's the true meaning. Um, so I think that kind of like creating these scenes where um, people are described in a way that is as full as I could, uh, like as much meaning I can cast into them in terms of like having a sense of of past and present and future, uh, and creating these narratives that are um, you do all in one. It's amazing. It really it just plays with time. It feels like you're just there. What is time? What is time? You're kind of traversing. Everything in the and because because of the scale as well, you can get lost in it. It's like it makes me also think of like the lilies, um, Monet's lilies. You know what I mean? There's the, when the the big ones surround the room, it, you don't know where you are, but you're kind of immersed in this experience. Your your paintings are an experience. I mean, yeah, that those those lilies um, at the MoMA are just that's one of my yeah. favorite rooms for sure. Yes, it's, it's just like you, it's like you can't even look at it. It's just you have to walk. You yeah. have to walk and see it, and like you just experience this like very subtle it, color change. It wa- yeah, it washes over you, doesn't it? It's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. So How important your... is nature to you? Because uh, some of the paintings also have this incredible, intense connection to nature and trees and and kind of like you know wider landscapes. Totally. I think that for me, I don't. I feel like I don't have access to landscape or nature unless it's mediated through a human experience. Um, mm. So when I was in Berlin and hanging out like with a friend like on those lakes that like um, so many queer people were around and it almost felt like this, like queer heaven. Um, mm. So I made a bunch of paintings kind of set in that in that situation or the meat rack mm. in the Fire Island in Fire Island that you guys mentioned uh, where it's basically like a 
like cruising ground. Uh, so mm -hmm. kind of having the the landscape itself be sexualized or like a potential for desire. And that to me is kind of a catalyst to making the work. Um, or even like, I mean, I was just, um, not to get like super heavy or whatever, but I just recently, one of my, um, a close family member passed away and I was in Israel um, for, the, for the Shiva. And my brothers and I were kind of hiking near my home in Israel. Uh, and we came about this like beautiful field of uh, red flowers. Um, and those were also kind of the flowers that we like, put on the grave. And um, these to me are the connections that I'm looking for or that inspire um, work that's related to nature, kind of as they interface with us and our experiences and our emotional worlds. Well, it's very, it's root, everything is rooted autobiographically, isn't it? Everything, all your yeah. connections, it's like, it's your, it's your life, it's your narrative. Yeah, and the hope is that, like, through, that, like, not necessarily that people would have to know this whole story I just told, but that the maybe sense of, like, loss or, or kind of a eulogistic sense would be communicated in the painting itself. Um, mm -hmm. So, And the story or the biography is just my way of accessing that or being able to kind of put that in material form. Right, right, right. Wow, I love it. I love it. So we ask every guest that comes on two important, very, very important questions, very testing, which you know of, but we also put in a Brucey bonus to the minute because of we're all in lockdown. He won't know what a Brucey bonus is. A Brucey oh, okay. bonus is a guy called Bruce <laughs> Forsyth, who was like a British um, TV presenter and he used to have this really hilarious weekend TV show that was very popular. Millions of people yeah. used to watch it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Rob. And they used to give you like a bonus prize, a Brucey bonus. The, Bru the Brucey bonus. And also we have more oh, American yeah. listeners bonus. now, so I mean, we need to... This is just your bonus, your big B bonus. It's so funny the first question, I, I prepared for the questions because I've obviously like have listened to the podcast many times, yeah. and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be one of those guests that don't have an answer. But now, now I now I am. Yeah, well, let's <laughs> see. People always get there in the end. We might not be. So the first question we ask everyone is: If you could do an art heist, if you could steal any work of art in the world legally and live with it and keep it, what would it be and why? Um, so I'm obsessed with Bonard, which I feel like is just apparent through my my paintings. Yes, um, and there's one. Um, amazing one at the Met that I keep coming back to, which is the terrace at uh, Vernonet, I think it's called. Mm. Um, and it's like a really big, beautiful painting. Um, that to me, I mean, what's so special about Bernard is that he captures this like light that's only possible in painting. And I think that painting really like exemplifies that beautifully. Did, didn't you once try and make a painting using all of Pierre oh Bernard's color palette? What a mistake. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Because he uses every single color in every painting. And when I did that at the time, I was just like using like a very limited palette. And I really, I couldn't. I, I just, the, I think I came out of that, that exercise being like, wow, he's just such a master. Mm -hmm. um, but I should probably try that again. I feel like now I'm a little bit more confident. So maybe. Who, who else are your influences then? Um, I'm, I love Kitai, Vuillard, yes. Velasquez. Um, so many. I mean, obviously, contemporary. Um, I think that when when people ask that question, the real answer is really just my friends. Um, so yeah, many yeah. of them, like like we were saying, like Lewis and Salman and Jen Packer that I'm obsessed with. Yes. Um, my friend Sarah Fox, Julia Bland. There's just so many um, kind of people who are just close friends whose work has inspired me and influenced me like over the years. So my it does feel like Sarah such Julia, a magical, yeah. exciting time, doesn't it? I mean, it's yes. like you know, Russell's been incredibly connected to it as well and has kind of got me 
in, in, into that group of artists. And I'm really happy that it's happening while we're all here because it, it does feel really, really exciting that somehow paintings are going to this new place or something. Mm, definitely. The other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Um, so there's this one pigment that I use called Crimson Lake. Um, that's Crimson like a, Lake? Yes. Uh, so it's sounds a very pigment. sensual. Very uh, sensual. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's, it's a warm red. And most mm. of the reds, most of the red pigments that are um, transparent are cool. So like alizarin and magenta. Uh, and this is kind of the only one that I found that was almost like cadmium red, but transparent. Um, and I'm obsessed. Like every painting starts with that color. Um, so that's basically my, that's definitely my favorite one. Yeah. Nice. I'm going to look out for that and all of them now. So the other question we've asked now, which has come up is what is your hidden lockdown talent? A talent that you've discovered you've had, which you didn't know since you've been in lockdown. Um, well, I discovered that I'm a pretty good, um, administrator actually. Um, which I've never tried because um, I'm what trying. In what way? In what way? Administrating? Well, well, like organizing things. Organizing things. Yeah, I'm trying to put to get this um, auction slash sale off the ground yes. to benefit um, right. the New York, the food bank for New York City, just to kind of alleviate um, some of the you know um, hardship that people are going yeah. through. Yeah, they, they really outreach um, elderly people, homeless people, uh, kind of the people that are most in need in this crisis. So uh, mm -hmm. kind of sitting at home making drawings, I was like, I'm sure everyone is sitting at home making drawings. Like, how about we donate some and, um, and make kind of a, a donation? Uh, and the response has been like so, so amazing. And, you know, right now I'm just like trying to wade through the red tape of like tax questions and like auction house schedules and um so i've discovered how that that's gonna, something that's possible how when are you going to do this and how are you going to you going to try and go through like an online auction thing or you're going to try and when you hope yeah, to achieve this to do, yeah the goal is to do an online auction um and really in the next few days i should i should figure out exactly when it's going to happen but uh, but mm -hmm. just as soon as soon as we possibly can that's kind and of you cool. actually emailed emailed me and we we're giving a Catherine <laughs> Bernhardt work yeah and i thank must you. say your your administration <laughs> skills are very impressive because uh, thank you thank you you convinced Catherine and myself immediately <laughs> well, i can't wait sis. it's going to be all of your friends all of all of the people we're fans of are all going to be taking part all my incredible friends and just really um, people that I reached out to Instagram that like happened to follow me and we've never really like oh. communicated but are like amazing famous artists and, and almost everyone was just so generous. I'm really so blown away by the... Oh, I can't wait to see this sale. Yeah, me too. Hopefully it happens. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk it up and then it'd be a It will happen. It will happen. <laughs> it will happen. We'll, we'll all help make it happen. Um, thank yeah, you. Definitely. Thank you guys. Yeah, and I'm really... Proud that Catherine's going to be part of it as well because I think me it's too. It's such a game changer cause. for us. Yeah, um, amazing. It's the same well, actually in the UK. We've been supporting um, Trussell Trust, who are a food bank charity. Yes, and they help food bank um, food banks across the UK in different towns because obviously every town has its own food bank. So it's a, a big uh, pressure at the moment that's on them. Um, Definitely, and yeah, I shouldn't say so. I shouldn't take full credit for the idea because this is something that a lot of artists are kind of doing right now, even on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, an artist, Hannah Bierman, um, who's really incredible, and she started this Instagram account 
called Artists for Humans. Um, and wow. so she's doing it on a much more kind of like immediate like posting a piece, selling a piece, donating the money, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I love it. Um, and I, I'm sure there'll be lots more. And the great thing about all these initiatives is that they inspire other people to do something. You know, it's like... Exactly, it's like, exactly. You know, one person hears about it and then gets connected and then they have an idea. So and I, I think that's what's going to be such a beautiful thing about this is... That's what happens. Looking out for each other, yeah. Yeah, seeing that, like, my friends... Like, a friend of mine was donating and I was like, oh, my God, like, we should just organize something, like, really big and, and make it happen. So it was yeah. very inspiring. Awesome. Amazing. Thank oh, you so Doran, much. It's I'm going to end so on great a, to speak on a, to you. A, uh, yeah, you too. You Thank you, guys. There was a quote that you had that says, as you are painting, you are creating bonds with the history of painting. Yes, I believe that deeply. <laughs> and the Love future it. of painting, surely. <laughs> yeah. And the future yeah. of painting, yes, hopefully. <laughs> That's the goal, right? To, yeah. Incredible. So everybody listening, all the images we've been talking about will come up on our Instagram at Toolcart. And Duran, are you on Instagram? I am. It's just Duran Lingberg, my name. Amazing. And, uh, so we will um, connect to you on our Instagram when this episode you. comes out. And thank you so and much for being part of our, our remote recording of the quarantine quarantine. Thank you for, for being a, a, a beam of light in my uh, quarantine. Oh, well, you've oh, been a beam of, of light to us for so Snap. long. Ditto. <laughs> now Ditto. I've actually got to speak to you for the first time. I'm so happy in person. Well, not in person, but you know what me I mean? Me too. We're, yes. We're communicating at the same time. Yes. In person um, soon. In person soon. In person soon, yeah. Well, lots of love and thank you so much. And all the best for that auction. It's such a wonderful um, cause. And um, thank you. we'll be thank back you guys. very soon. Big love to Ron. Thank you. Bye. Bye, thank you. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts.